I want to invite you to turn with me in a Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. And we, uh, if you're a guest with us, we're, we're in a sermon series on the book of Ephesians, and we're finally at chapter 1, uh, which may be somewhat confusing. But nonetheless, we're going to look at Ephesians 1, 1 through 14 this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible, there's hopefully one in the seat underneath, underneath the seat in front of you. Go ahead and turn that to Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 through 14. Hear now God's holy, true, and life-giving word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you so much that you have revealed yourself to us in your word, by your spirit, and most of all, in your son. And we thank you for the absolutely magnificent and breathtaking things that we've just read. And would you help us, through the Holy Spirit this morning, to understand and to embrace all these magnificent blessings that you have poured out on your people, on all who believe in Jesus. Uh, Lord, as we talk about these things, would you help us, our hearts to be just filled with praise for you. If there are some among us, Lord, who are not believers, I do pray that you would work in their hearts, that they would long to be able to claim these beautiful things about themselves. Would you help them to see that by putting their faith in Christ, even today, all these things will be true of them as well. So we pray that you'll bless us as we study this passage for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. There was this um, old Air Force veteran who went on Antiques Roadshow 
Uh, you're probably familiar with that show where people bring things that they have, antiques, things that are older, and they have experts tell them what their item is worth. And so this uh, old Air Force veteran brings a watch that he had purchased when he was on active duty back in the 70s and when he was overseas. And so uh, he, he presents this watch and this expert is looking at it and telling him all the reasons that it's unique and all the reasons that it's special. And he's noting that he's got the original box that it came in and he's got the receipt and all these things about it that are unique. He, he talked about how uh, this particular watch was a collector's item because Paul Newman wore one like it in a movie. Uh, and so he goes on and on and on. And he finally gets to the point where he tells this uh, Air Force veteran what his watch is worth. Now, the, this guy had paid $345 for the watch, again, in the 70s. And so this antiques expert tells him, if you were to sell this at auction, you would probably get between five hundred and seven hundred thousand dollars Okay, first off, we're paying too much for watches, people. Okay? But second, and think of, and now here's what happens in that moment. So he hears that his watch is worth up to $700,000 and he falls on the ground. He literally falls on the ground. All these people run over asking if he's okay. And he was, he gets up and he is just absolutely joyful. He's laughing. He's just, he can't, he can't believe it. He's just, he's just in shock. He's erupting with joy uh, because he realized that something that he had was worth substantially more than he ever even dreamed and this morning, as we uh, dive into the book of Ephesians, that's really kind of the same thing what's happening in Paul's heart and mind and wants, uh, God wants that to be happening in our hearts and minds this morning. As we think about what we have in Christ, that our hearts would be filled with joy, that we would be just blown away at the value of what we have in our Savior, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're focusing this morning as we begin this book of Ephesians that the more we embrace God's plan for us in Christ, the more we will erupt in joyful praise. And we're going to talk about that this morning by looking at three things. Paul has this, this opening to his book of Ephesians. It's kind of like a, a benediction or a prayer. It's just this effusive praise for God. And he, he does this in kind of talking about God's plan in the past and so we'll look at that in uh, verse 3 through 6. And then he talks a little bit about God, how God's plan continues in the present. We'll look at verses 7 through 10. And then also how God's plan culminates in the future. And so we'll talk about that, verses 11 through 14. Uh, let's go ahead and look at verses 3 through 6. I'm not going to say much about the, the beginning. Paul announces himself in verses 1 and 2. And one of the key things to recognize about verses 1 and 2 is that Paul says he's an apostle, so he's sent by God to communicate these things. He also says he's writing to the people who believe. And that's important because everything that he's going to say, these magnificent things that he's going to say in this passage, in this benediction, verses 3 through 14, they are directed to people who believe in Christ. And so if you're a believer, I want you to hear all these things. That they're for you. If you're not a believer, I want you to hear what would be true about you should you Choose to put your faith in Christ. But let's talk about God's plan in the past. Look at verses 3 through 6. And when I say the past, I mean the distant past because what he's really talking about here is in eternity. What happened in eternity before the foundation of the world. 
And here's what we want to see, what Paul's teaching us in verses 3 through 6. It is this. If you are a believer, you were chosen before time to be united to Christ through faith and through that union to become a holy, blameless, and beloved child of God. Okay? If you're a believer, you were chosen before time to be united to Christ through faith and through that union to become a holy, blameless, and beloved child of God. Now, if we can understand this and embrace this, we'll know because we should be erupting in praise for God. So let's take a look. Look at verse 3 and let's flesh this out. Notice what Paul is saying here. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, he's going to list all these blessings, but I want you to notice he starts by mentioning that we're in Christ. And we're going to see that throughout this passage and throughout this book. In Christ. He'll say we're in Christ. We're in Him. We're in the Beloved. And whenever we see in Christ, he's referring to our union with Christ. That Christ has united Himself to us. That it was God's plan that we would be united to Him. And that union, one of the ways that God helps us understand uh, our union with Christ is through the what happens in marriage. If you think about what happens in marriage, a groom and a bride, they're united in marriage. And one of the things that takes place in that union is everything that was the groom's becomes the bride's. And everything that was the bride's becomes the groom's. Through that union, they share everything. Right? So I've told you before, when Hannah and I got married, uh, she had a Toyota Camry, so I acquired a Toyota Camry. I was pretty excited about that. I had a, a Chevy Camaro, and Hannah acquired a Chevy Camaro. She was not very excited about that. But either way, when you are united in marriage, you share everything in common, right? And what Paul is saying is that uh, to say that we're in Christ is to say that it was God's plan that we would be united to Christ and everything that's his would be ours. Everything that's ours would be his. And so what he's getting at here is God has graciously chosen this to take place. For us, And so he says in verse 4, look at what he says. Even as he chose us in him, there it is again, in him. He chose us before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. And so here's what he's talking about. This In, in eternity past, before the world was created. Before anybody or anything existed. God chose us. He chose that we would be in Christ. He chose that we would be holy and blameless before him. And that holiness and blamelessness comes from his perfectly holy and perfectly blameless son. What's Christ's becomes ours because of our union with him. But notice, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So before we did anything, good or bad, before we would even think that there's any reason we might be chosen, God has chosen his people Verse 5, and he says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So not only has he chosen us before the foundation of the world, before time existed, but he also predestined us. That word means to decide beforehand. And what Paul's saying is, God decided beforehand. In other words, before anything at all happened, before he created the world even. God had already decided that we would be adopted as his children. That we would become 
beloved children of God. Why? What did we do to gain such an amazing privilege? Nothing. That's why in verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace. You're going to see the word grace peppered through this passage because Paul wants us to understand, God wants us to understand that this amazing relationship we have with him as a chosen and beloved child is all by grace. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. It's all by the sheer grace of God. And that's important for us to remember because as believers, if we're ever wondering, why did God choose me? Why did God choose us? Why does he adopted us? The answer is never because there was something good in me or better in me than others. It is only because our God is a God of grace and he gives to us what we do not deserve. And he says, uh, verse 6 says, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, What's so powerful about that is as he's talking about these things, we're chosen, we're predestined, we're adopted. It's all by his grace. uh, And he's blessed us in all these ways in the beloved. He's calling Jesus the beloved. And he's doing that because in Mark 1 verse 11, if you're familiar with Jesus' baptism, when Jesus was baptized, uh, right after he's baptized, Mark tells us that that, that God the Father kind of rips open the sky. And, and yells down and says down there, this is my beloved son with who I am well pleased. One of my seminary professors used to say the father just could not take it anymore. He had to just tear open the heavens and, and say, that's my boy. And that love now that the father has for the son, we are realizing as we're, if we're believers, that love is actually also for us. That God loves us the way he loves his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that he chose that he would love us that way and adopt us as his children before the foundation of the world, before we would ever even exist. So this amazing plan that God has for all the world and and, and we're learning specifically for us who believe, it it began in eternity. And that's really important for us because as people who are followers of Jesus, um, one of the things we wrestle with is whether or not God really loves us. And even in a church where we preach the gospel every single week, there are still many of us uh, who regularly, and some of us, uh, maybe all the time, we really wonder, does God really love me? And why do we struggle to wonder if God loves us or not? Well, because we know we're incomplete, like we've been talking about in this series. We know we're sinners. We know we have failed. So the question that comes in our hearts is, how could God love me? And here's where he's saying, oh, look, I chose to love you before you ever existed. I chose that you would be a beloved child of God before you ever even existed. So that we would be assured of his Love. In love, he predestined us to be adopted. You know, um, as a parent, I can tell you that parents want their children to be assured that they love them. Okay? And children, your parents love you. I promise. It's, there's this longing in a parent's heart for the child to know that they're loved. And I remember one of my favorite notes I ever got from uh, one of my children was from my little Hattie Mae. She's our third born. And Hattie Mae one time wrote me a note. And it says, Dad, I love you. And sometimes when I be bad, you still love me. 
And that just filled my heart with joy because I realized, okay, she, she gets it. That no matter what she does, no matter how much she messes up, like we all mess up, it's not going to decrease or weaken or change my love for her. It's just there. It doesn't go away. And here, this is one of the ways that God is speaking to you and I who believe this morning. So that we can say, even though when I am bad, when I fail, when I sin, you still love me. There's no way we would be able to believe that if God had not revealed that to us in his word. And so he shows us that. That we were chosen and predestined to be adopted, all in love. You know, here's where this really hits home. Like, um, maybe like me, often you feel like a failure. And you feel defined by your failures. And in those moments, guess what we get to do as believers? We get to say, wait a second. My failures do not weaken or change the love of God for me. It is full strength all the time. He loves me. He chose me before the foundation of the world and decided beforehand that I would be adopted as his beloved child and that he would love me like he loves Jesus all my life. That will fill your heart with joy. So God's plan began in the past. Look at verses 7 through 10. Uh, and let's see how God, God's plan is continuing now. There are things happening even now. Now, some of what Paul refers to is in the past because he's talking about the cross. But there are things still taking place. Here's what we need to understand about verses 7 through 10. Paul's teaching here that because we're united to Christ, we have been delivered from God's wrath, forgiven of our sins, and we've been made aware of God's plan to, through Christ, bring about the renewal of all things. Okay. Because we're united to Christ, we have been delivered from God's wrath, forgiven for our sins, and been made aware of God's plan to, through Christ, bring about the renewal of all things. Let's understand this so that it can, we can erupt in praise. Look at verse 7. He says, in him, that's in Christ again, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Now, think back to our union, right? We're united to Christ through faith. And remember how we talked about how through that union we get the holiness, right? And the blamelessness of Christ. We get what he had. Well, he also takes what we had, which is our sin. So the the Son of God came to take our sin upon him. So that on the cross, as his blood is being shed, he's paying for those sins, He's fully satisfying the wrath of God. We don't like that that idea that God has wrath, but he does. He's revealed that he has wrath against sin. But here we're seeing that all who believe have been redeemed or delivered from God's wrath. That's what redemption is. It's being delivered from the wrath of God. And because the wrath of God for sin has been satisfied, we're forgiven. He has forgiven us of all of our sins. That's another thing believers struggle to believe, that we really are forgiven. You, are, you really are forgiven. If you're not a believer and you put your faith in Christ, you really will be fully forgiven. I mean, think about the things that you're carrying around feeling the guilt for. You are forgiven. That's what Paul is saying. We have redemption. We've been delivered from the wrath of God because it says through the blood, through his blood, Jesus paid for our sins on the cross 
so that we could be forgiven. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. And it's all by grace, right? He says, according to the riches of his grace. So once again, how did we get this incredible blessing? Not by doing anything, but by God who is gracious, bestowing upon us things we haven't earned, things we can't deserve. And you know, it's, it's amazing because what God is teaching here is that he has made things right between himself and his people through Christ. We're at peace Everything is right between us. And now he's going to go on to say that he's, he's doing that in a wider scope. Look at verse 9. He says, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What is Paul talking about there? Paul is talking about how our, um, our, our redemption, our being delivered from the wrath of God, and our forgiveness are not ends in and of themselves. They're means to a greater end. That we would be already fully reconciled to God as he is doing what he is doing now in Christ, which is uniting all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. What does that even mean? Here's the way one uh, author puts it, which I think is very helpful. What Paul's talking about there in verse 9, or 10 actually, about uniting all things in Christ is this. He says, God is in the process of organizing the entire universe, both its heavenly dimension and its earthly dimension, around Christ. Let me say that again. It's amazing. God is in the process of organizing the entire universe, both its heavenly dimension and its earthly dimension, around Christ. Christ. This is because the Bible talks about how God is making all things new. In other words, our faith, the Christian faith, is not simply about us being at peace with God. It's also about God's promise and plan to make all things new, to bring renewal to the entire earth, to transform this world into the kingdom of Christ. And that's really good news. Because it helps us understand that our faith is bigger. Our faith is a worldwide thing. And it is something God is doing. And that we've been redeemed and forgiven so that we too can be a part of what he's doing in Christ. Organizing the entire universe around his son so that all things will be glorious. And it, you know, it makes me think about how there's, there's at least two things. There's actually a lot. But there's at least two things about Christianity that make it entirely unique And it makes it really wrong to suggest that Christianity is like any other religion. There's two things that if you really look at it, there's there's two at least two things that make Christianity totally different than any other religion or worldview. One of those things is grace. Every religion in the world, except for Christianity, is what we would call a works-based religion. You do the right things and God approves of you. You do the wrong things, and God rejects you. That's all the different religions of the world. Only in Christianity, uniquely in Christianity, do we find that God accepts us because of his Son. He approves of us because of his Son. It's all by grace. It's all free. That's one of the things that makes Christianity totally unique. And another is that God is in the process of making the whole world new. That he's gathering in this people, his chosen people, as he's also making the whole world new. 
making all things new, righting all wrongs will, that will take place, especially when Christ returns. And so therefore, if somebody does suggest, you know, think, you know, as we're, uh, for the members of our church, as we're interacting with our friends, our neighbors, our relatives, if somebody does kind of say that Christianity is, you know, just one of many religions, we want to be bold to lovingly say, oh no, that's actually not true. It's actually wildly different. We don't want to allow people to think that it's the same as any other religion because it, it, it is totally different. I was reading about this um, interesting situation where uh, one morning in Washington, D.C., in a, in a subway platform where normally there are some musicians playing there, uh, this man wearing a baseball cap and uh, jeans, he goes into the subway at just about 8 a.m. And he starts to, he pulls out this violin and he starts to play. And uh, over the course of 43 minutes, about 1,100 people walked by him. And um, out of that 1,100, really hardly anyone stopped. Apparently one guy stopped for a little bit, maybe hung out for a couple minutes. Uh, a couple kids stopped and stared for a little bit. But for the most part, everybody just walked on by. There was one woman, however, uh, who stopped and gasped and stood there with her mouth open, watching and listening as this violinist played sonatas by Bach and other exquisite pieces. And the reason that she was standing there just with her mind blown is because she recognized him. She recognized him. It was a man named Joshua Bell, uh, who is one of the world's finest violinists. And um, he regularly performs for sold-out crowds at the best concert halls all over the world. And so she's standing there realizing this it's, it's him. And she's blown away. Uh, and Joshua Bell was there that morning taking part in a field study that was being conducted by the Washington Post in which these researchers were looking to see that if somebody like Mr. Bell just dressed like a normal street musician, that people wouldn't realize they were in the presence of the, one of the finest violinists in the world, who was playing, by the way, a violin that was worth $3.5 million. You know, one of the greatest tragedies in our modern world is the lumping of Christianity in with other religions. It's profoundly worse than lumping Joshua Bell, one of the finest violinists in the world, with a street musician. And so we want to be a people who can lovingly say and excitedly say, no, Christianity is totally different. It's about grace. It's about the grace and love of God. And it's about His Son and how He's doing all these things through His Son. So I think this reminds us uh, to be lovingly proclaiming this good news to our unbelieving friends and relatives. Good news. Christianity is actually about grace. And good news, anybody can get in on it by putting their faith in Jesus. So the plan is continuing. We have redemption. We have forgiveness. It's all by grace. And God is not done yet making this whole world new. Third, let's talk about God's plan culminates in the future. God's plan culminates in the future. In verses 11 through 14, here's what Paul is saying. The moment we believed, uh, we were guaranteed we will one day take possession of a glorious inheritance in the renewed heavens and earth, a new earth. Okay. Um, I just realized that says the moment we believed we were guaranteed. Let's, let me put some commas in there. The moment... We believed the gospel. That moment, we were guaranteed 
that we will one day take possession of this glorious inheritance in the renewed heaven and earth. This too should be filling our hearts with joy. Look at verse 11. He says, in Christ, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. That word means a portion, an allotment of what? Of this renewed world that's coming. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. It's all about the glory of God. 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel being the good news that Jesus died to pay for the sins of all who believe. And if you believe in him, because he was raised from the dead, you are forgiven, you are free, you have eternal life. So Paul's saying when, you, when we believe this gospel, um, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In other words, what he's saying there is that when we heard the gospel and when we believed, something happened. The Holy Spirit sealed us. Now, it's important that you understand that that's not like a seal that keeps something in. It's not like a seal on a pickle jar. Okay? It's like a seal from a, a king's signet ring. So in ancient times, when a king would give a document to someone promising things from him, to authenticate it, to prove that it was from him, they would drip wax, and then he would have a ring with a seal on it, an emblem, a picture, and he would press that seal into the wax so that that document was authenticated. This truly is from the king. And what God wants us to realize here is that as soon as you and I believed, we were marked. We were sealed. God placed his mark on us. Because of his love for us. If you're a non-believer, the, the second you truly put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit puts that seal on you. It's not a seal that we can see. It's a seal that God can see. And it marks us as belonging to him as well as it marks us as one who will receive this incredible inheritance in the new heavens and new earth. I was thinking about this because I have one, of my, one gift that I got that I just love. Uh, a number of years ago, I got an embosser. Okay, and I know everybody who loves books just either said, yeah, I have one too, or I've always wanted one. Um, an embosser is this, these two discs, and there's a lever, and it's got a seal, it's got a mark, and you put a paper in there, and you can squeeze it, and it marks that paper, right? And so uh, what, what nerds like me do is we take our books, and we have this, I have this little seal that says, from the library of Matthew James Ryman, and I pinch that seal into all my books, right? And so it's there. And uh, also, like if somebody borrows my book and I say, hey, that's mine, I can say, look, see, there's my seal. That's mine. If I wanted to send a letter to somebody and seal it, I could do that too. But I, I was thinking about the joy, the absolute joy I take in putting my seal on a book. And I realized, it just hit me, how God takes such joy in, through the work of the Spirit, pressing his seal onto us. The joy he must have in putting his seal upon us and, and then revealing to us in his word that that seal is a guarantee. It's a down payment. Not only that he loves us, but that he has so much waiting for us in the new heavens and in the new earth. You know, we took, we allowed um, 
pe- people to write down some of the things that they want to acknowledge about feeling incomplete. They're on the uh, a board in the foyer. And we've been thinking about that. And one of the things that was interesting, there was a number of people who said that um, they feel their incompleteness in their worry about the future. That they're afraid about the future. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. And we, in this series, we're learning that we find in Christ everything that's missing in us. And I just was thinking about how this promise of this inheritance, this glorious future, it's just, it just screams peace and comfort to those of us who wrestle with what's going to happen in the future. Because God is saying here that he has placed his seal on you, believer, and you are guaranteed you will receive your inheritance. You will be in the new heavens and new earth. You will have all your heart's desires fulfilled in Christ. No matter what happens in this life, you have a glorious future. That's guaranteed. And that I think God designs that so that you and I, who are worried about the future, can actually have peace in the present. Yesterday... Um, we went to the Orlando Science Center and we went to their big dome theater to watch a movie on Apollo 11. And it was all about how Apollo 11 went up in 1969. That's when we put a man on the moon. And they make it very dramatic and there's a lot of you know, scary music. And uh, you're, 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 every, every once in a while, you you're kind of have a lump in your throat and you're like, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? And then I'm remembering, wait a minute, yes, I know history. I mean, I know they made it. What am I worried about? And then pretty soon you got the next phase and is the, is the rocket going to separate right? Are they going to be able to go around the moon and, and get onto the right path? And you're like, oh, are they going to make it? Are they going to make it? And I'm like, yes, why am I doing this? I know they make it, okay? I went to eighth grade history. What if God is speaking to you, me, who are worried about the future and because he knows we start to think, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? He wants us to say, oh, yes. I know what happens. I know what happens. Christ returns, makes all things new, and gives me this inheritance. Man, if that won't cause our hearts to erupt with joy, I don't know what else can. Listen, if you're a believer, this this passage tells us that you can say, now and every day, I was chosen, I was predestined, I was adopted, I was redeemed, I was forgiven. I'm part of the renewal of all things. I have an inheritance inheritance waiting for me. I'm marked with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And no matter what happens in life, I'll spend eternity with Christ in unmitigated joy in the new heavens and the new earth. That is reason for our hearts to erupt in joy. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Would you help us to believe these things? If there are non-believers among us, Lord, would you, would you help them to see what awaits them, the truths and the promises that awaits them if they would put their faith in the one true Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us who do believe, would you help this, would you, would you help our hearts expand for you and, and just truly erupt in joy as we think about these things today and through this week? Would these truths of these promises push back our fears and our doubts and our worries and fill our hearts? 
with joy, joyful praise. That we might bless your name because you have blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And we thank you and praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.